Welcome back to the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered Podcast. Your host, Olivia, here. And today I have Jolene Blackburn, and we are talking about estate planning and how your estate plan is a life plan. Taking care of you while you're alive is half the point of an estate plan. Um, Jolene, how did you get into this? Oh, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Olivia. I'm so excited to be one of your guests. Um, love the podcast. <laughs> so, all right. So yeah, how did I get into this? Well, um, I was in law school and I had different plans, but um, I went to meet with my counselor and she noticed that I was not enrolled in the wills and trust class. And she said, you know, that's two subjects on the bar. You need to take that class. And I said, no, that's going to be so boring. I don't want to take that class. <laughs> and she just thought I was crazy. I left her office not taking the class, but my very last semester, I caved. I caved into peer pressure. I took the class, loved it, got the top score in the class. I just was like, this is what I want to do with my life. And so I just completely shifted gears, um, did everything in my power to become an estate planning attorney. I graduated during a really bad economy, which is a bad time to start a career. It's also a bad time to be an estate planning attorney because people consider it as an extra, not something you have to do today. And so if they're all losing their jobs, they're not going to get a will or a trust. So I had a really hard time getting a job, making ends meet. I ended up opening my own firm just because I couldn't find a job, but I was so dedicated to being an estate planning attorney. Unfortunately, law school does not teach you anything about sales, marketing, any of that stuff. So even though I had some clients, I eventually did leave for a while because I just needed to pay those student loans back. And it just wasn't happening. So I left. I had a different career for a while. It was great. But I did get to a point where it was like, you know, I'm a little burnt out. I'm just not really thrilled with what I'm doing anymore. And I just decided, you know what? I'm going to go back to estate planning. And this time, I think with the internet and understanding sales and marketing better and having been a little bit in the entrepreneur space for a while, it's just worked out so much better. I finally have able to come back and kind of live my dream. And I, it's just been so exciting. So I've been so happy to be able to help people the way I help them. Um, this is always what I meant to do. Well, Jolene, I'm so happy for you. And you're in California. So <laughs> You know, I know a lot of people from a lot of different places, but I know that California got a lot of, it's a high cost of living. Um, yeah. And a lot of taxes contribute to that high cost <laughs> yes. of living. And it's not necessarily the like easiest place for business owners to be. So I, I get where you're coming from with, so, so I'm guessing you started in like 2008, 2009. Actually, it was after September 11th. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so what happened was uh, the September 11th and following recession hit the legal industry, especially hard. So anything that you want to go to any area of law was kind of restricted because a lot of law firms had sister firms in the Twin Towers. And so they lost an entire branch of their firm. And out here in LA, they were struggling to make ends meet. And a lot of big firms that were hiring hand over fist were laying off everyone they'd hired in the last five years. And so those people were competing with all the law graduates. And that was the first graduating class after September 11th. So the government also had a five-year hiring freeze. So if you had been promised a job after you graduated, that was taken back. So 
everybody who had been promised a job didn't have a job. All the big firms were laying off. It was a mess. And so just to be able to find any job, you were lucky. And a lot of people kind of, yeah, they because of 08, they missed the 02 issue that happened. And the layoffs were happening for like two, three years. I mean, warehouses were laying off entire warehouses. It was a mess. So, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your dedication to what you do. So, yes, I, I love my people. I, the way I created my firm is I'm available. Now, I'm not going to say I answer my phone 24-7, but I'm available 24-7 because there are people who really need that in this industry. They are in that nursing home. Something is happening. They need to be able to get a hold of their attorney. So I do have two teenagers. They are both special needs. And part of the reason I did come back to estate planning is because I could see that flexibility. And so what I do sometimes, like, for example, today, I am here on the podcast Um, I might be answering some emails and stuff like that, but I have no plans to really do much work today. And I'm spending it with my kid. She has occupational therapy. She has equine therapy. So we're doing all kinds of stuff today for her. But then, you know, I'll do a trust signing on a Sunday morning or whatever. So it's very flexible. My clients know that they can get a hold of me. But luckily, we have this lovely relationship, at least so far with all my clients, that, you know, if I'm not answering the phone at 7 p.m., they're okay with that. If I know it's not an emergency, I'm not picking up at 7 p.m. But if we have a trust on you at 8 a.m., yeah, okay, I'm picking up that phone so I can make sure, was there a bump in the road? Could you not find your ID? What was the problem that we need to solve before 8 a.m.? So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I love the way I've set this up, at least for myself, my lifestyle as it exists today, and how I'm able to help my clients, again, regardless of what, Drama has popped up for them at whatever time of day or night. Would you say that you would be able to help other attorneys with this, creating this type of flexibility in their life as well? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've done over the last several several years is also help pre-law students so that they see before they even go into law school what the options are. And, you know, I think a lot of students, especially I would say females and in particular minority females have this, um, this drive to prove themselves, to show I can be partner. I can be the top of the food chain. I can, you know, overcome generational trauma, all these things, right. That, you know, that the women were put down kind of thing and yet they're sacrificing themselves and they don't realize it yet because they haven't quite done it yet. But those of us who've done it already, we've done all the things and we realize, oh my gosh, this wasn't really worth it. (laughs) This was a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. And what do I have to show for it? Great. So I have this lovely little list of things I've done. I mean, that's exciting, but at the end of the day, where's my free time? So I really try to show them that there are these options and yeah, they can go where they want to go. I get it. You got to check off that list. That's okay. Go ahead and do it. Achieve all those things. But just remember, there's these alternatives. There's these other ways of being. And if you're discovering in law school that you're overwhelmed, you'll know, okay, I don't have to go up that chain. I don't have to go up the corporate ladder. I can go to the side over here. There's lots of people running their own little firms and are perfectly happy and successful. So that's one thing I do to try to help attorneys before they're even attorneys. Would you say that you learned, since you're working with people in nursing homes, um, you know, that are thinking about this after the fact, 
uh, like later on in life, their wills and trust. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from them? Oh my gosh. First of all, I love helping that population. You know, um, I had a woman, she's 94, 94, 95 the other day. She is amazing. She comes from 17 generations of samurai. She's considered aristocracy in Japan. And over there, they don't sign their names. They have like a little stamp instead. And that's their signature. Now, of course, on my documents, it has to be a signature, but it was so cool. She whipped out her little stamps and everything. It was so neat. And they look like little lipsticks. They were really cool. Um, but yes, yeah, so I learned so much from these people. I love to hear their stories. Uh, that lady in particular, she was actually still in the home, but she wanted to make me coffee. I really didn't want coffee, but you could just tell she wanted to be of use. And that's part of what I do is making sure these people feel comfortable with me, that you know they're living their best life while they're with me, right? I may be only with them for half an hour, an hour, whatever it is, but I want them to feel seen and heard. And so I'm like, yes, get me coffee. Okay, you want some cookies? I really don't want cookies. Yes, yes, give me cookies. <laughs> yeah, so you know, but they're so happy because when they sit down at the table, I've got cookies and I've got coffee and, you know, they've done something for me. And so I love that because it's really giving back in a way, right? So they feel useful and they feel happy. And yeah, there are so many people I've seen, yeah, in these nursing homes that just are so stuck, right? They're stuck by this neighbor in the bed next to them, um, that's making odd noises, right? My person may not be quite in that boat yet, but they've got this person they have to deal with and they only have visitors every so often. And, you know, the family can only get there every so often. So I really do try to take my time with them, um, listen to their stories. And I do hear, like I said, amazing stories from people that you wouldn't hear otherwise if you were just all business, just, Hey, I'm here for some signatures. Let's get in, let's get out. Um, and I think sometimes too, some attorneys will say, hey, you waited too late. The dementia is too far gone. I can't get good information out of you to create those documents. But if you spend enough time with them and hear enough of the stories, a lot of times then you can get those answers because you're hearing what you need to hear, which is, I trust my daughter to do things for me. Now, if you ask them, who do you want to take care of your finances and healthcare? They go on some crazy tangent, right? <laughs> this has nothing to do with it. You can't get an answer. But you let them talk about, oh, I used to take my daughter to school. I used to walk her. You know, we used to have a little wagon. And you, know, and you hear these stories. It's going on and on. And then you talk about how, oh, and then I lived with my daughter the last 20 years and blah, blah. And you come full circle. A lot of times you can get out of them. Oh, so you trust your daughter. Do you trust her to make financial decisions for you? Well, yeah, she's been taking care of me. Okay, so does she, she can make medical decisions if you can't? Yeah. You know, so it, it takes time sometimes. It takes patience, but um, yeah, that's, you know, I do I, whatever I can to try to get these people the documents they need. When would you say is the best time to start doing this? <laughs> Yesterday? <laughs> Aside from that, I will say a lot of people do wait. I mean, the majority of my clients are in their 70s and 80s. Um, but um, the number one cause of death for people up to age 44 is accidents. So, you know, we all think, okay, I'm going to get cancer. So I'm going to have a warning signal to go get my trust. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to, there's heart disease in my family. So I know when I hit a certain age, I should really start taking things seriously. But accidents don't give you that chance. Mm -hmm. So 
especially if you have kids, you should really, before the age of 44, be doing this. Mm -hmm. But everyone over the age of 18, once you turn 18, there is no one in this world, if you are single, that can make medical or financial decisions on your behalf. So if you're in a coma, your family has to go to the courts and get appointed so that they can then make decisions on your behalf. And you're just sitting there wasting away while they're spending time and money. And of course, thousands of dollars on tubes and things like that. It's a really bad situation. And literally, people don't seem to understand that when your kid turns 18, even if they're in high school, you cannot make those decisions for them. They are adults. So if you have a kid over the age of 18, if you're over the age of 18, at a minimum, have a healthcare and financial power of attorney. They're very simple documents. By the way, do not go online and get them, okay? Um, I can't tell you how many errors. I gave a whole speech on this just yesterday. How many errors people make with the DIY stuff? Um, I have a client right now. We're going to create a state plan, but they said, oh, we already have the powers of attorney. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll knock that off the price if, if you do, but send them my way. I want to make sure they're legit. They don't have a power of attorney. They have a revocation of a power of attorney. So they're revoking nothing. Dad said, I take my daughter off my power of attorney that doesn't exist, basically. And what the daughter admitted was, you know what? We did this when my mom was dying. And I think I just grabbed the first document off the internet that said power of attorney and didn't realize it was a revocation of power of attorney. So you never know if you're filling out the right form, if you're filling it out in the right way. Um, I've seen some that just a missing comma makes all the difference and messes everything up. So literally don't DIY these things and <laughs> just go get it properly done so that you know, because these things go into effect after you're no longer all here. When you're you know, in dementia or whatever, in a coma, how do you know they're going to work if you just got them off the internet? Go to a professional who can tell you yeah, you need to actually change this. And this little fill in the blank isn't going to work for your situation. Or um, a lot of people will choose, I don't want to say the wrong person to make decisions on their behalf, but once they talk it out with someone like me who can tell them the consequences, they're like, oh, wait, no, I don't want that person. Actually, I want this other person. And so that's what you're really paying for is making sure the forms are correct and also making sure that all the things you would have put in those blanks are actually what you really want to see happen. I think it's extremely important to hire a professional with these types of things. You wouldn't just like go to a doctor, like a medicine doctor, if you're not into like that type of stuff, when you can go to the hospital or, you know what I'm saying? Like you went to school for this. You actually like, you know what you're doing and you you do the continual education and, and I'm supposed to just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to just go online and just plan my life like this. Yeah. I mean, I fully agree. We all do, you know, Dr. Google, right? And that's fine for a first step, right? Same thing with legal. What kind of stuff do I need? First step. Great. But to actually, you know, when you've got that stomach pain or whatever it is, you don't stay there in pain for five days and just trust Dr. Google. If it's not going away, you go to the doctor with the trust or whatever else you're getting or need to get. Yeah. You need to really talk to a professional and, um, you know, what we're there for is to advise. Technically, we are not there to make decisions. Attorneys are not decision makers. We are advisors. So you tell us your situation and we tell you, okay, yeah, if you do this, then this is what will happen. If you want to protect that, this is what I recommend you get. But that's all we do. Then it's up to you to do whatever you want. 
Thank you for sharing that. Attorneys are advisors. They are not the decision makers. I was at, I was, I work at a fine dining restaurant and my, the GM was talking to a table that he knew. And I was overhearing the conversation because I needed him to like go fix something. And he was the the table, their daughter is a wills and trust attorney. And then they were like, yeah, she only talks to people with money. And I think there's that misconception that you must have to have a whole bunch of money to have this in place. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So again, first of all, your body's the most important thing in your life. So that's that healthcare power of attorney. So first of all, that is the, I want to say simplest document as far as most attorneys aren't going to charge you too much for it. If you go in just for that, seriously, it's not a life investment. So go check that out, guys. Wherever you are, you need an attorney in your state to do it, but go get that done. So you only need your body for that. Now, beyond that, if you have children, I mean, don't you want to name a guardian? And there are a handful of documents that apply to children. There's not just a guardian because that kicks in when you pass away. But what about if you need someone temporarily? What if you're in a car accident, your spouse dies, you're in a coma? Who is the guardian of your children temporarily? There's temporary guardianship documents because those full guardianship documents aren't going to take place yet. So you need that temporary one. And that can apply to so many other situations. For example, if you and your spouse decide to actually get away from the kids for once and you go away for that like four day weekend, right? Just a little thing, but you're like two states away and something happens to your kid, right? Where they need, it may not be an emergency because doctors will always take care of kids in emergencies, but like something elective where the kid's in a lot of pain, um, you might want that temporary guardian to go ahead and say, yes, it's okay. I'm going to sign the forms. This person can have that surgery, you know, the tonsillitis or whatever it is, or they, um, if there's something at school that needs to be signed. And again, you're just not available. You're out of town. That temporary guardian can legally sign that permission slip or whatever it is. And in this environment we live in, that might be something like picking your kid up from a school shooting, mm -hmm. right? If they're only releasing to legal guardians and you're out of town, you want that extra person as your backup. So there are a lot of documents just to protect your kids, which let's face it, besides, again, gas mask or air mask on yourself first, right? But then the next thing is your kids and then your assets, that's next. So that's where that money comes in. And you don't have to have a lot of assets to need to protect those, but that is the least of my concerns. I want to protect you and your kids. The peace of mind that comes from having these things in place yeah. It, it, the things people worry about, when you just take care of the things you worry about, the, the, life's going to happen regardless. Yes. But when you actually take care of these things, having these things in place and not wondering, oh, well, what's going to happen? You know, I had no idea. We're in the age of information at this point in time. If you're responsible to listen to a podcast, you know, you're responsible enough to, you know, to click on something like this. And you are responsible enough. To be like, you know what? I might want to protect my body, you know, just in case something happens. I might want to protect my kids. You know, if I, if I do go out of town or if I'm, you know, if something crazy happens and I can't get out of it, I would hate for my child to not have surgery because I'm not available and have yeah. to wait on me to get back in town. And what if the flight, what if the flight gets canceled, you know, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> 
You just can't wait. What if this happened right to your kid, right when like the original COVID lockdown happened and all the flights were being canceled and there's just no way and there's no rental cars because everybody's already taking them or whatever. You know, I mean, there's messes, right? That we can't predict. And yeah, I, my favorite client to work with, it has yeah, nothing to do with assets. It actually has to do with um, people who recently had a negative health diagnosis, whether it's cancer, whether they had a heart attack or a stroke, the relief I see when they sign those documents is just, it makes me feel so good. You know, I mean, everyone feels it to an extent, but when you're 30 and you're healthy and you just had your first baby kind of thing, that's a different type of relief of, yay, I did this thing versus, oh my gosh, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. I have so much on my plate right now. I'm fighting for my life literally. And now I know everything's going to be taken care of. And it's just, you can literally see that deep breath they take after they sign. So I love it. And it's, you just never know. I had last year, I had four clients pass away within like two weeks of signing and all, all very different. You know, I mean, one did have a cancer diagnosis, but she was doing really well, but then something, she just all of a sudden couldn't breathe. It was totally unrelated. And they just couldn't figure it out in time. And she passed away. I mean, it was just coincidence. We had signed and taken care of it right before that. So you just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> really don't. And my mother, my mother had cancer. Uh, she was diagnosed in September. And I know she's done like a bunch of all of the things. And she, she did have a lot of peace during this time she's cancer free now she rang her doorbell her her little bell a couple of weeks ago um but it's having these things in place i know that that helped her have that sense of mind and peace cuz she's a very healthy person she is on her peloton 6 days a week oh wow <laughs> she eats yes she eats organic food all the time she, I mean, we were food on food stamps growing up, but she still made sure we ate at the health food store. Like they took, they took ABC. Um, <laughs> we, That's so, awesome. But she's very, she bottled water. She gets it, you know, doesn't smoke, doesn't drink. Very clean lifestyle. She's still got cancer. She yeah. had ovarian cancer. Um, they took out her uterus, but she's still going through the chemo treatment and all this stuff. And it's still tearing her down. And I know the other, you might be listening to this and you might have a family member that is going through something and, you know, propose that question to them. Do you have these things in place? Yeah. Who's your power of attorney? You know, who is, yeah, especially if your family members haven't ever mentioned, uh, especially the power of attorney and you know, they're you know, getting up there in age or they've got a health issue going on. Don't be afraid to ask that because what if it's you and it's already all been created and you just don't know where to find the documents? I mean, I had to ask my parents, you know, they've had theirs for a long time, but I asked them a while back, where is your trust documents? In the attic. Oh yeah. Because I would ever think, and I know I'm the person named, to look in the attic? <laughs> what? Oh, you guys have bookshelves. Just put them in the bookshelf, you know? I mean, or I mean, even give it to me. I mean, just, but it's not doing any good in that attic. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. So Yeah. And I will tell you guys, if you ever hear that your parents have documents, a lot of lawyers put them in black or brown binders so they hide really well. So you might have to look really thoroughly 
I stopped doing that a long time ago. My binders are orange. I love Halloween, so everyone gets orange. And you are not losing that thing because people lose their trust all the time. And I think part of it is just that it's that little nondescript binder. And it's funny because I, my old trust from when I was married was in a black binder. And then I'm single now, so I have a new one and it's in my orange binder. And the other day I was going through my bookshelf and I was pulling out, I'm like, what's this black binder? And it was the binder that held my old trust. It still had the cover sheet on it, but it didn't have anything else in it. But it was just like, this just proves my point. I didn't even know what this binder was for, <laughs> you know? So it's really, but I can see my orange one and I know what that one's for, you know? So yeah, it's, um, I, I think a mistake that a lot of estate planning attorneys do because that's what's always been done right? Like, why would we have an orange binder? But if your parents do have one or your family members, your brother, sister, whatever, if they say they have one and you're the named person, find out where that thing is, find out what it looks like, because they can be really hard to find. The, are they digitized now? Yes. Yeah, so I always scan mine. A mm. lot of attorneys do. Um, maybe some of the more old school ones might just have a physical copy. Um, technically, I mean, it just depends on your state, how they handle that. Um, so let's just say the original does get lost. You should get it redone, get it re-signed, all that stuff. But let's just say that's not an option. Um, the courts will look at a digitized copy. They'll look at a photocopy. It's not considered 100% legitimate, and again, every state handles this a little bit different, but obviously it's extremely persuasive as to this thing existed. This is what they wanted. And you're usually going to be okay, but it's always best to have those originals. Yeah. But yeah, always, easy always to make find, a copy, keep the originals, you know, yes, have the copy, yes. but knowing, knowing where it is, that's important. And I'm so happy you touched on that because I don't know where my mom's is. <laughs> and, I mean, she lives in South Carolina. Like I, we, in thinking about all of these things, getting these things in place for me, myself, like I love the fact that you put it in an orange binder. I love that you make it like clear. I color code things too. So. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we're not losing nothing. <laughs> right. When, when it's clear to see, it, it's too important. That is just too important to just like not be clear on where that is. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> so before you go, I know that you work, you do a lot of work with the notaries. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So I've, I'm not a notary today, but in the past I have been. Um, and so I know what it's like to be a notary. I know what, you know, their rules are and stuff like that. And I also know what it's like to work with attorneys. And I remember when I switched over, um, I went into the work comp world. I had a, um, a court reporter who after our deposition, she said, that was great. We should work together again. You should request me. And I, I just kind of blew her off because I didn't realize what she was saying, which of course was pretty clear, but you know, I just, again, wasn't an entrepreneur. So I just thought, oh yeah, that was nice. Great. And I moved on with my life. And then we worked together again and she said, no, you should really request me. We should work together. And I realized, oh, she really means that, <laughs> you know? And so I started requesting her and she did almost all my depositions for like 10 years. And it was great. It provided me with endless benefits and this really tight network where um, she would really look out for me. Um, and 
honestly, we ended up developing a very personal relationship where, I mean, her daughter babysit my kids and um, her husband took my car to the shop because I had the, you know, I think it was Toyota at the time. He, he worked for Toyota and I had a Toyota. I mean, just all these things, right? And so when I came back to estate planning, I brought that into the notary world. And I just said, you know what, guys, let me tell you how to work with attorneys. Because if you just say, hey, that was a great trust signing. Let's work together again. It's not going to happen because a lot of attorneys have not been trained with this, again, marketing, sales, entrepreneur mindset. And so we're just thinking, uh-huh, great, bye. You know, we're not thinking you actually mean this or that you're trying to grow your business or that um, this could mean a huge difference for your life. And so you need to make that clear to us, you know, hey, I'm really trying to grow my business. I really like the way you did that trust signing. I'd love to work with you on your other trust signings. You know, can we keep in touch? Can you call me the next time? You have to really hit us over the head, you know, especially, like I said, if we're not part of that entrepreneurial space. And so I really have been trying to help notaries understand how to get into the brain of an attorney to really work with us and speak our language so that they really can grow their businesses. And yet, what am I looking for in a signing? What do I want to see and not see? Um, you know, for example, when I'm with someone who has dementia and it's hard for me to get them to focus, but I've already pre-met, we've, I know my paperwork is good. So at the signing, maybe this person's not as together today, but they've been pre-vetted by me. I don't want the notary coming in and chatting up for half an hour and getting this person even worse off, you know? So let's just get through the signing. You know, I need someone to understand these things. So I try to make sure they understand these things so that when they go into other trust signings, they've got it. You know, okay, this is just one where I'm going to be kind of quiet today. Oh, this is one where everyone's happy and in a good place. So we're going to chat it up, that kind of thing. Really reading that room, understanding where the attorney's coming from and yeah, how to work with them again. So yeah, I, I think if we all help each other out, right? then we can all build each other's businesses together. And another system I've created with my notaries, and if you're a notary or an attorney, this is something you can do, is I've asked notaries, hey, if you refer me business, I'm going to refer you that client. So if you did a house signing, a loan signing, ask them, do you have a trust? And if they don't, and they come my way and they say, hey, Natalie sent me to you. Okay, great. Guess what, Natalie? You're going to do the trust signing. And we make it full circle. So now you gave me business, I'm giving you business and we help each other. I love how you're such a collaborative soul. I also, <laughs> there's so many things that I love about you, Darlene, seriously. Aww, the fact that you take time with your clients to really get, you know, have the patience with them. The fact that you choose to have that availability of 24 seven for them. Um, the fact that, you have so much dedication to what it is that you do that even after like 9-11 and so many things coming up against you in this system. I mean, the fact that you're a mother of two children with disabilities and doing this on your own, um, you know, as a divorced mother, that I understand how just a portion I can imagine the grit you have to have to do what you do. <laughs> so seriously, it's it's been such an honor to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you. As I said, I'm a fan of the podcast. I'm a fan of your guests. They are all just wonderful people. I've loved listening to them. So I'm so glad I could be a part of that. Thanks. Of course. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.